Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. There's a lot of question marks here. And notice, he goes, I counsel you to, to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, that you may be rich. And again, this would be another slap in the face to them because they were boasting that they were rich. They were great bankers. They were great commercial men. They had all these things going. And Jesus says that you may be rich. You say that you're rich. In the physical, you may think you may be rich, but everything else, you're poor. How can I keep from Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, our Bible teaching ministry from Calvary Chapel of Rochester. Today, Jesus reminds the church at Laodicea where their riches really are. Although they thought they were self-sufficient and were rich, Jesus tells them that they were living in spiritual poverty. As long as we believe we can meet the needs we have ourselves, as the Laodicean church did, we can never receive them from Jesus. If we receive from Jesus his riches, his gold, beautifully refined in the fire, then we may be rich. Now let's join senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg with today's lesson. Just like in our own lives, we, we hate our own sin, don't we? Do you hate your own sin? I hate my own sin. I hate that part of me. And, and any time that I'm, I'm thinking or, or about to do something, you know, it, it's just like, Lord, help, you know. And thank God for His Holy Spirit. But we do love people, and the Lord loves people. He doesn't have a problem with somebody who is a homosexual coming into the church as long as that person's coming with a broken heart, or at least with a heart that's open to hear the truth. <laughs> you know, and that's the difference. That's the difference. There are some churches that wouldn't allow anybody like that. But guess what? The church is not supposed to be full of saints. Hopefully the church is filled with sinners who need Christ because that is who Jesus died to save, to set free. And I was one of those sinners, and I still am a sinner, but saved by grace, uh, just like you, hopefully. So praise the Lord for that. You know, John Walvoord, who was a a great uh, Bible teacher, a great biblical theologian, he said there's no... There is no one farther from the truth in Christ than the one who makes an idle profession without real faith. He says, How many church members are far from God, yet by their membership in a professing church have been lulled to sleep into a false security? No one has been harder to reach for Christ than the religionist. Far easier to win the harlots and the publicans than to win the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so that is a really tough word, but it's true. It's hard to reach somebody who thinks that they're okay, that they're in this lukewarm place. So why would Jesus vomit this church out? He gives the reason in verse 17. He says, Because you say, 
I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And he, and he says, and do, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, when he mentions these words like poor and blind and naked, he's speaking spiritually. Certainly, they were very rich physically. Certainly, they, they claim to have their eyes wide open, and so they would claim that they, they can see, but yet Jesus says they were blind, and they were clothed because this church, this city, was known for its, uh, its clothing and its uh, tapestries and those things and, and black wool, which they uh, integrated in some of their fancy clothing. So they were very much, st- they were into style. And yet Jesus says, for all of that, yet you are naked. Yet you are naked. This church was known for its affluence, its prosperity, for its medicine, its manufacturing, and certainly its banking. It formed a tri-city relationship along with Hierapolis and Colossae. And um, around 60 AD, it said that there was a, a great earthquake in that area, and it just leveled the city of Laodicea. And instead of relying upon the Romans to come and build the city up again, they were so wealthy and they were so proud in their vast resources and their their banking prowess <laughs> that they decided, we don't need any help. We'll do it ourselves. And they did. And they, they built it up themselves. And they were known for their uh, making these glossy black wool that would uh, be woven into their garments that they would sell. And so when the Lord mentions to them that they are naked, this again would be like a slap in the face to them because they had all this stuff going that they thought was really great in the physical. And the Lord's saying, you know what? You, you are rich, but you're poor spiritually. You, you, you don't even know where you're at. You're all over the map. You, you say that you can see, but yet you are blind. And you're so rich in your clothing and all the things that you have, and yet you are naked. There is nothing about you uh, that is worth anything. And that's a very hard thing. And this is the modern church, much of the modern church. Not every member of the church, and certainly not every fellowship, but this thing is this idea that we are rich and in need of nothing is pervasive across our land, across the world for that matter, in the time that we live in. But the answer to the Lord to us would be the same. He says, Do you not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? See, Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He's not partial to anyone or any group. He will tell it like it is. He is truthful, right? We, we established that from the very beginning. He is truthful. He is truthful. Churches today are more concerned about making money and funding their buildings and their programs. They're more concerned about marketing techniques and, 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 and getting demographics for the area to find out how they can support, you know, how they can get more members in their church by maybe having a baseball diamond behind the church and, and doing all these other things. So then the church becomes rather a servant of people rather than a servant of God and giving the people what they really need. They don't need more sports. They don't need more activities. Although those things are good in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with those things. But when that's what's drawing people in and there's no, there's no teaching of the Word... What is the point of even getting together? You might as well go to your public school. Go to Penfield High School. They got all of that stuff. And they've got the highest quality stuff because our taxes are so high. Trust me, in Penfield they are. And many of you from Penfield know what I'm saying. And Fortune 500 ideas from board members slipping into the church, slipping in. Instead of doing the right thing, they, 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 they get out these things. What can we do to attract people? What, what can we do to, to hold their membership? Maybe what we'll do is we'll, 
We'll, we'll, we'll force them to, you know, give us their W-2 and we'll find out how much they're, how much money they're making and then we'll make them tithe. This is what you should do if you're being faithful to the Lord. Are you kidding me? When is worship? Is that really worship? No, that sounds like a fleecing. <laughs> but when somebody is truly worshiping, they give of their own heart, of their own volition. They don't give because somebody tells them they've got to give. That's a bunch of nonsense. And the Lord doesn't want anything to do with that. And there are a lot of, and again, I don't have anything wrong against mega churches, but if a mega church is operating in any of those schemes and things that they're doing, they're in sin and they need to repent. And that is the truth. Notice in Jesus, in verse 18 here, he says to them, As a result of all this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Notice gold refined in the fire. Gold speaks of what is valuable, at least on the earth. It's probably one of the most precious metals, arguably, on the earth. That's why we have the gold standard, or at least we think we do. Uh, every, every money that we have is supposed to be backed up in the treasury with gold. <laughs> right, and so, uh, so we, you know, gold is is uh, very valuable, and yet metalsmiths, and, and you've heard me say this before, you've heard it said before, but notice what Jesus says: I counsel to you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Gold refined in the fire. When gold is refined, a metalsmith, as you know, heats it up. And he takes off the dross off the top. All those impurities in the gold bubble to the top and he skims them off the top. Then he heats it up again and he does the same thing. And he keeps doing it until he can see his reflection in that molten gold. And then he knows it's pure. And Jesus is saying, you church, this church at Laodicea, he says, you're not pure. You're anything but pure. In fact, I can't even see my reflection in you at all. I don't even think I'm actually in you at all. There's a lot of question marks here. And notice, he goes, I counsel you to, to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, that you may be rich. And again, this would be another slap in the face to them because they were boasting that they were rich. They were great bankers. They were great commercial men. They had all these things going. And Jesus says that you may be rich. You say that you're rich. In the physical, you may think you may be rich, but everything else, you're poor. You are poor. And this is in stark contrast with those of the church at Smyrna. Remember what Jesus spoke to them. He says, I know your works. This is in Revelation 2 verse 9. I know your works. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. This was the exact opposite from Laodicea. The church of Smyrna was poor. They didn't have anything, but yet God says they were rich in faith toward him. They were small in number, but they had a big God. You know, when you look at this church, they had everything. Everything was going for them, but they had nothing. Isn't that a funny paradox? It seems like that in life that is true. Usually those who are the most gifted, I think it's just God's way of leveling the playing field sometimes. You know, because everybody sees everything through their own eyes and they see things wrongly. They, They assume that... Uh, because you're wealthy and rich, that you're happy and that you got everything together. And I've known people who are uh, Christians who who love the Lord that are wealthy. And because their heart is not on the money, you know, they got it honestly, and they did well, and they worked hard, and God blessed them. And they're they're the biggest givers. Uh, and, and then there's other people who are wealthy and they don't know the Lord, and they're the most unhappy people. Unfortunately, they're unhappy. You know, they're unfulfilled. They, 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 they try to find their solace in the bottom of a, of, a, of, a, of a glass. They try to find their 
comfort in um, promiscuous relationships. They try to find their fulfillment in anything because their money doesn't fulfill, because the void in their heart is still open, it's wide open, and it's only a hole that Christ can fill. It's the only one. And notice he goes on and he says, I counsel of you to buy gold refined in the fire that you may, may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. And white garments speaks of the righteous acts of the saints. That's what it says in Revelation 19 verse 8, that the, the fine linen that Jesus is going to array the church in is the righteous acts of the saints. And, and it's his righteousness first and foremost and this would be a rebuke to them as well because, again, they were known for their garments. They were known for their black wool. It was a really big deal for them. And they would use this. But now he's saying that they're black and they're defiled in, in everything that they're doing. There's no white garment here. And that's why he mentions this. Uh, I will give you white garments, you know, if you ask, that you may be rich and have white garments because you don't have white garments. And he says, and anoint your eyes. He goes, that, he, let me back up, he says, uh, that you may be clothed you know, with these white garments and that the shame, at the end of verse 18 here, that the shame of your nakedness be not revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. They, again, they were famous for their schools of medicine and they had this really wonderful compound that they could put in eyes. Uh, and a lot of people back at that time had different um, eye diseases and eye infections and I wish I had some today. I'd put some in my in Kathy's eye. <laughs> uh, but they had this salve that was world-renowned that they would put in people's eyes, and it would help them. And Jesus is saying, I need to do that to you. You're the one making the product, and yet you're the one who needs it the most because you're blind. You can't see. And, um, you know, it's an amazing thing. You know, Jesus spoke often of the Pharisees and, and told them, and these were the religious leaders of the day, and they were supposed to be the ones who were the, um, the leaders and to, to know the Word of God and to know how to act and, and to act rightly, to be examples. And yet they were blind. And Jesus said, you're like the blind leading the blind. And, 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 and he, would, um, he would upbraid them for this. Verse 19 he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. You know, Jesus loves. As many as he loves, he rebukes and chastens. The idea of rebuke is just to bring conviction, to expose, to bring to the light, to call to account, to demand an expl explanation. That's what this idea of rebuke is. You know, in Proverbs chapter 9, Solomon said this. He said, do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. But rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. And, and that is so true. You know, if you rebuke a scoffer, they're going to scoff at you. But if you rebuke at a man who is wise, he's going to listen because he realizes that he's not all that. <laughs> he realizes that there's still a lot of growth in his own character, and a, a wise man will take a rebuke. They will take a rebuke. How about you? Are you able to be rebuked? Are you able to be corrected? How do you feel when you're corrected? Unfortunately, in the days that we live in, so many people are offended very easily at any thought of them having to need correction at all. And it's an unfortunate thing. I, I love correction. I, I really do. I, I love to be corrected because I'm growing. And I, I'm every single day, I'm growing. I'm growing in my knowledge of the Lord. I'm growing in my relationship with Him. I'm growing even in this ministry. 
and, and I love growing. I really do. I love learning. And when, when you get to the point where you're no longer desiring to grow and you don't want to learn, you don't want to be corrected, believe me, that is a sad day because that's the day that you begin to die. And, you just, and it just brings you into despondency. And your life is just no longer fruitful. There's no joy anymore, is there? But you know what? When, you're, when you enjoy learning, and I love being around guys who know a lot of stuff. You know, I was just here with Richard Williams and Al Moldenhauer the other day as they were working on the teen room. And Richard's in there, and he's doing these you know, things. And, and I'm watching him, and I'm just like, how did you do that? Or why did you do that? You know, why do you have this string coming out of the wall? You know, and he was explaining it, and I'm just like, I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, I learned something, and, and, I, and, and that's wonderful to learn, isn't it? I love learning, and it's a good thing to learn. But notice the Lord says, not only do I rebuke, but I also chasten. Remember, chastening is, is the idea of instruction. It's not just God bringing down the hammer on you and busting you for something, okay? It's the idea of instructing you so that you learn, you know, you learn. In Proverbs chapter 22, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, if you train up a child, that's all they know. And it's very hard to depart from them uh, as they go because they have this foundation. But if a child has no foundation, he's going to be, he or she's going to be all over the map. But when we are brought up with a foundation and our path is narrow, which is a good thing, as we become aware of things, we realize that this stuff is slippery business over here. But if I stay on the narrow path with the Lord, my life is going to be fruitful. Be fruitful. I love also what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain than fine gold. Do you hear that? That chastening is better than the profits of fine gold and the profits of silver. And that's just exactly what the Lord is talking about. He chastens those whom He loves because He loves us. You know, if, if you really love your son or your daughter, you're not going to say, oh, it's fine, go ahead. Go out into the, in the middle of the street while you got your big wheel and, and you know, we got a busy road in front of our house, but it's okay, just have fun, see you at noon, around lunchtime. You know, if we say that to our kids, we really don't love them, but any sensible parent is going to say, no, I don't want you anywhere near the end of the driveway because cars are zooming in, they're not looking at all at you. That's what love does. Love sets boundaries, and love delights in boundaries. Are you willing to be confined for your own good? I didn't like it when I was younger, but now I see the, 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 the importance of being confined by certain things, and that's there to protect me. It's there to protect me. And notice, he says, Therefore, as a result of this, be zealous. And, and it sounds just exactly what it is. Be heated, be excited in a good sense. Be zealous in the pursuit of good. You know, pursue and to strive after. Be, be busy about the Lord's business and also to repent. It just means to turn and think differently. To literally turn 180 degrees, think differently, to think differently. And some people, 
you know, they have to, including myself, I've gone through many lessons over and over again, and I need to go through them again because I'm not repenting or I haven't repented, and I have to go through the same lesson over and over again. And, you know, God is patient, you know. Believe it or not, when I was in kindergarten, they actually held me back. And if my mother's watching uh, this morning, she'll probably laugh at this. But And she remembers because uh, <laughs> when I was in kindergarten, uh, I would run out the door as soon as they, as soon as class started uh, there in Flint, Michigan. I would go into the class, and as soon as the teacher turned her back, I would bolt out the door. And she didn't even know I was missing for a while. And finally, she called my mother, and I was playing in a playground across the street from our house. So my mother was at work, and um, they had no idea that I was missing for quite a while. And so they actually had to hold me back another year because I was too immature for kindergarten. So I was too immature for kindergarten. Can you believe that? So they actually held me back. I had to go through it again because of my immaturity. So that's kind of fun to think about. But there are consequences, right? And God is patient. And, and, and if we have to go through the same lesson over and over again, believe me, He's in it. Uh, we don't like it, but He is very, very patient. And there is always a consequence for a lack of repentance. And a lack of repentance is disobedience. It is disobedience. And the Lord loves us enough to tell us the truth. Notice in verse 20, Jesus says to this church, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. You know, if we were to compare this church with what we just read last week in the church of Philadelphia, remember what the, what the Lord did for the church in Philadelphia. He said, see, and this is Revelation 3 verse 8, he says, see, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. But yet when he comes to Laodicea, he has to knock on the door. And the idea is that he's knocking for admittance. But they are not letting him in. They don't even know him. And even if they do know him, they, they lack such spiritual fervency and, and they're, they're so lackadaisical and they're so uh, unconcerned that they don't really care that they don't even hear the door knocking. And even if they do, they don't want to get up and open the door. Jesus in Luke's Gospel, this is Luke chapter 12, verse 34 Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. And any servant, as they would wait for their master, and as the master would come home and the master would knock on the door, the servants would immediately open the door for their master. You know, and Jesus would go on later on in that same chapter in Luke 12 and verse 42, and he said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over all this house to give him their portion of food in due season? And, um, and Jesus goes on, he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say that, you will, that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and to be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. 
And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. You notice the grace in that? For everyone to whom much is given, for him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, to him they will ask the more. And see, this is one thing that the church of Laodicea, was not, that they didn't have any works. You know, they weren't being a good steward over things. And Jesus had to come and knock on the door. He should never have to knock on the door of any church. The church door should be wide open for him more than anything else to do what he pleases, to do what he wants. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.